Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, it's Phil Brown, former Preston North End manager. Uh, I managed the club in 2010, uh, only for one season, unfortunately. Um, wished I was there a little bit longer, but hey-ho, uh, I'm here to talk to you about it now. Thank you for coming on as well. Appreciate it. It's been a bit of a pain in the ass to get it all sorted. No problem, Jake. Cool. So, before we get into anything North End related, um, how do you think that the Football League and the Premier League should go about finishing this current season? Obviously, in the midst of everything that's going on at the moment, um, how, how do you see fit to end the season, in your opinion? Well, my my opinion is one of probably, I would have said, the populace. Um, it's, it, the season has to finish. Uh, and however long that takes, you you dig into 2021 uh, to get it finished. You know, there's some fabulous stories out there. There'll be some fabulous hard luck stories as well as good luck stories. But, you know, the Liverpool one is the, the one that springs to everybody's mind. What a fantastic season they've had. And probably, you know, one week away from winning the title or being yeah. crowned as champions. Uh, but at the same time, that actually hasn't happened. So I think, you know, if you take all four divisions and you have to, there has to be parity, there has to be whatever the rule is in the Premier League, whatever the rule is in the AFL, you have to be on the same page. And I think they've got to finish the season. And if necessary, uh, tailor the following year to a shorter season to get back on track with timelines. Yeah. Or... I remember, I'll tie this in with Preston North End, my chairman of Preston at the time was Morris Lindsay. Morris Lindsay was um, an innovator with regards to the rugby league, as we all know, and uh, he changed the timelines and the course of rugby league unrecognisably from the Eddie Waring up and under days to the modern day game. What you see now, it turned it from a, a winter sport to a, to a summer sport. That actually could happen. Conceivably, anything from this coronavirus um, disease, this this tragedy that's going on at the moment, anything can actually come out of it. And football could become a summer sport. It, mm. It's not the end of the world. We're talking about playing World Cups in 60 degrees of heat, ridiculous air-conditioned stadiums. Well, you know, the world of football in, in England could change unrecognisably to a, to a summer sport. So I think we've got to finish this season regardless of whether you're at the wrong end of the division because you're there for a reason or at the right end of the division you're there for a reason and get the season finished and then dig into the following year 2021 and um, and take it from there take a take a new view take a new have a new take on the whole the whole game it could change the face of sport you know yeah yeah There's, um, it's a sort of a matter of fact conversation between ourselves but at the same time there is some kind of substance to it you know mm. I think um We've long, I'm sick to death of talking about it this winter break. Um, 
you know, the reasons behind it. We all know there's, there's, there's some massively valuable reasons for the world of football to have a winter break, but nobody can predict that when the winter's coming. Yeah. Um, in, in England, in Britain particularly, you know, it could start in October, it could start in March. Yeah. That's how ridiculous our winters are, and, and it could be a severe month's damage to, to that season, but you can't predict when it's, when it's coming. So you can't plan for it being December, or you can't plan for it being January. You plan for it being when the weather turns inclement. And mm. as far as I'm concerned, if it becomes a summer sport, yes, the whole world has to sort of change its ways and change its timelines. And it has to be a lot of, as I say, a matter of fact conversation between me and you, it has to be a lot of thought and a lot of discussion and a lot of brainstorming to try and probably get something beneficial and something positive out of this um, out of this coronavirus situation. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you left Hull in 2010. How did the move to North End come about? Um, it was a, an interesting um, situation. I was, you know, you, you come out of a club at Hull City and I've actually been in a, in a cycle of 5-1-5-1 for the last 25 years. You know, five years at Bolton Wanderers and then went to Blackpool and finished my playing career there and then five more years at Bolton Wanderers and then you then go to Derby for a year and then five years at Hull City and unfortunately I went to Preston North End for a year and then five yeah. years at Swindon, South End, one year at Swindon. So the cycle was um, was broken at... Um, in India this year, where I've just finished uh, a stint in in Hyderabad, um, and I'm back in England now, looking looking for to uh, seek another challenge in English football. Um, but the Preston North End one came about with probably a mutual liking of horse racing um, yeah. with Trevor Hemmings. You know, not that anything was planned, anything untoward. I wasn't I wasn't meeting him per se. I actually. Went to Haydock Park races midweek. I had a runner. Um, but it wasn't just me that had the runner. Sam Allardyce was part of that um, that um, back room that we had uh, a little a little get-together after we qualified for Europe at uh, Bolton Wanderers. And we bought yeah. a horse called European Dream. It was running at, uh, at Haydock Park. And strangely enough, Trevor Hemmings had a horse that was running at Haydock Park that day as well. So it's the first time I actually met him. And um, I think he had, there was talk of, of Darren Ferguson losing his position, losing his job. Yeah. And um, we, we had a table full of managers, me, Sam, Peter Reid, Bobby Saxton, uh, Brian Horton, Steve Park. And, you know, we were all on this table in, in Haydock Park Racecourse. And, and he, his opening line was, I'm sick to death of managers. <laughs> <laughs> sick to death of football. Sick to death of football and sick to death of football managers. So I didn't think there was any chance of maybe getting a, a job when Darren lost his position. But uh, he picked the phone up directly and uh, and got a meeting hastily arranged with. Um, oh, so it was Trevor that got directly in touch with you then? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. He brought he brought me over to. Uh, I didn't I didn't make any inroads whatsoever. You know, I thought you know when the way he was talking, the way if he was going to get rid of Darren Ferguson, which he did do a couple of weeks later, um, I, I was honestly thinking that he was going to run the, run the club himself, you know, <laughs> it was yeah. one of them. Uh, he'd had enough of management, he'd had enough of football. Um, you could see that uh, he's a gambler, he's, he's, a, 
he's a risk taker, he's a businessman. But the, the rigours of, of uh, Preston were sort of paying heavy on his bank account, not to the extent where he was going bankrupt, anything daft like yeah, that. Yeah. The man was worth a lot of money, but uh, it was draining, certainly draining resources, uh, the mm-hmm. amount of money that he, he had decided to put in at the start and the amount of money he was putting in at that moment in time was was just it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't a good plan as far as he was concerned. It, it wasn't good business as far as yeah. he was concerned. I think I think he was getting sick of it. So um, obviously, when I when I came in at Preston, I knew whatever was going to happen, it was going to be budgets were going to be cut. You know, yeah. salaries were be cut. Um, playing staff was going to be cut. Backroom staff was going to be cut. So I had, to, I had to accept that challenge. Plus the fact that we were bottom of the league at that moment in time and staring into the abyss of the, of the first division, which was never uh, something that I thought I was going to take up as a challenge. You know, I thought I was going to go to a top-end championship club or even the Premier League, you know, to mm. to get the next challenge. But I accepted it because of his ambition. You know, he, he seemed as if he was just wanting to steady the ship and slow the boat down. And, and then the following season would be a great year, you know? Yeah. So what? What I suppose that leads quite nicely into my next question. Then, what, from your opinion, what was the state of the club at the time when you came in? Was it was it in a need of, like you've just said, Trevor sort of having to cut back and and make some changes, or was it in a state where you thought, actually, do you know what? That's something that I can go in and I can work with and I can see where it takes me, sort of thing. Well, I I accepted uh, the challenge at the start because. That's the type of person I am, you know. I do, I do like a challenge. I do like to get my teeth into it, and I, I don't necessarily subscribe to the word project, but I do like to get my teeth into a, a problem and turn that turn that problem positively round, you know. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'd, um, I think I was, I think I was only one, maybe two games away from survival, and I think it was a dreadful one nil defeat, home defeat by Cardiff City at uh, Deepdale that actually sent us down, you know, with, with one game to go. Um, and having, having accepted the challenge, sort of 10, I think we were, we were about 10 points adrift um, of safety. To get it to the second last game of the season, I thought was a was showing that we were going in the right direction. You know, we yeah. we just ran out of time. Ran, we ran out of games, I thought. Um, I, was, I was actually on a bike ride this morning just trying to keep myself fit for this uh, London Marathon. Believe it or not, oh, you're doing uh, the marathon. Yeah, it's been delayed till October the fourth. So yeah, yeah, I did it um, two years ago. I, I did it. I did the first one five years ago uh, when I was fifty-five, and, and I ridiculously accepted the challenge because I've got time on my side, uh, or on my hands, shall I say? Not on my side. I've got time on my hands um, to do it again. So, uh, but when it's you know it's been delayed another five six months. But I'm on the bike this morning, just thinking about. Um, what was what we were going to chat about, you know? I always I always go back to the the moment that I thought um, we had a chance, and then it was taken away from us by Bolton Wanderers, by a, a, a you know like a neighbourhood club yeah. that was being managed by Owen Coyle at the time. And uh, I played with Coyle at the end of my career. I played with Coyle at Bolton, um, and he uh, he was managing. Uh, Wanderers at the time, and, and we pinched. If you remember, Ricardo Gardner, he was he was coming yeah. back from an, an injury, and we got Ricardo Gardner. And I thought that was the moment that we were going to survive. You know, we got Ricardo Gardner and Keith Tracy down the left hand side, and I thought they were absolutely 
Um, well, it, it, I thought they were the best in the championship on the left-hand side. I thought they were causing all sorts of problems to the opposition. Yeah. But then Ricardo got Ricardo got dragged back uh, with three, four games to go, and I think we were on on a good run then. You know, I think we yeah, yeah. not lost five, maybe six games, and we were going in the right direction. We went we went third bottom, if you remember rightly, um, and uh, we were just like one more win away from maybe survival. Uh, but then Ricardo got dragged back, and that that left hand side just got weakened too much, you know. Yeah, weren't they citing like an injury crisis or something? He was citing an injury crisis, but I know Coyley quite well, and Coyley said he was bringing him back because he um, he was coming to the end of his contract, and yeah. he wanted to give him an opportunity for like another contract. And I'm right. I'm like I'm saying, I was saying to Coyley, do me a favour. He's been at the club. 10, 11, 12 years, you know exactly what he's capable of. Yeah. I'd worked with him for five years. I knew what he was capable of. And yeah. he would, but they were in the Premier League and we were in the Championship. Uh, and it was one of them where Coyley just couldn't make his mind up. And I, I was like begging him, you know, leave yeah. him at the club. You know, you're going to you're gonna send us down if you take him back. But he uh, he obviously had his needs. And, uh, and I don't think we won in the last two games. And that cost us heavily you know so that that was my thought process but there's a lot lot more situations that had gone on up until then you know mm-hmm. uh, but I, I thought I was coming into a great challenge if I could keep them in the championship um, bit, a bit similar to the, the, the whole situation where we kept them in the championship and then we got promoted the following year I was thinking yeah, yeah. exactly the same was capable at Preston being mm-hmm. a similar size club similar size support um, similar ambition, but that championship is just laden with with teams that are probably speaking the same way as I'm speaking. You know, teams that think if we just hang in there, survive this year, we'll get a chance of getting in the Premier League the following year. Yeah, and it doesn't always happen that way. You know. Yeah. Um, what What was Morris Lindsay like to work with? Obviously, like like you said earlier on, he, he's he was very much a rugby man, um, and yourself being a football man. How was that? How was that balance when you came into the club? It was um, there were always very interesting conversations. A very interesting guy. Um, he was um, he was a businessman. He was an entrepreneur. He had that entrepreneurial type, you know, way about him. Yeah, um, he was always full of new ideas, full of um, invention in his thought. You know, he, some of the stuff he used to come out come out with. I was like. I was on the same line as him, but you know he was off the map sometimes. You know with the um, with the changes that he was wanting to make, and and they never happen overnight, do they? They always take time. Yeah. And I, and at, at the end of every week, unfortunately, a manager and a team and a, and a group of supporters have always got a window of opportunity to to either play well, uh, win, uh, or it goes the other way. You know, you don't play yeah. well, you don't win, you're under pressure. You know, so to. To come into the club, it was it was a mutual admiration of, of both Trevor and Morris mm-hmm. and the club in itself. You know the history of the club. Um, I always wanted to manage uh, big clubs, and I always thought Preston North End, regardless how many years I spent at Bolton Wanderers, Preston North End was a big club. You know, yeah. Um, and it was in the northwest. It was the hotbed of England English football, but that seems to be moving around at the moment. You know, it's not yeah, so, it does not so hot in the north. Northwest at the moment, and it's moving around, but it'll come back for sure. So that that January when you came in, then do you feel like you were properly back? 
Well, it's difficult because, um, you know, you're looking at the first day on arrival. I'm going into a, a training ground situation where, yes, I was happy with that. I was happy within the environment. I was certainly happy with the club, mm-hmm. the size of it. Uh, I was happy with the fact that, you know, you've got one of the biggest um, investors individually in the world of sport, let alone football, he, you know, his investment in horse racing, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. It, it was much to be admired, you know, from a distance. And I was in the, I was in the inside. Um, but you're never going to get some guy just saying, right, there's 20 million, keep us in the division because he would have done that to the previous manager. Yeah. Um, so the biggest disappointment, you know, if you're talking about backing, the biggest disappointment for me was the fact that Alex Ferguson, on the first day of my trading, if you like, took three players away from me because his son had got sacked. Yeah. Um, now, I understand, I understand that, but I believe there was a internal, and we'll call it internal, with regards to football, not not with regards to the world, not Manchester United, not, not whatever, but internal phone call to... Uh, Stoke City manager who was Tony Pulis at the time yeah. and he took two players back well and I thought that was a little bit underhand but yeah, to be sitting Mike, facing Michael Tong and Danny Pugh was it? That's right aye, aye. but if you um, if you take them five players on your first day's training five players are not turning up and that's not any promises from owners or, or from chairman or anything like that it, this mm-hmm. is a fact of football you know? Darren Ferguson had been sacked Alex Ferguson, his father, takes three players away and, and makes a phone call to a very good friend of his, and he takes two as well. Yeah. So that that was a blow because I don't care who you are, any manager in in the championship, if you took on any one given day, took five players away, and these were influential players, these were playing in Darren Ferguson's team on a regular basis. Yeah, if you take it, five players away from any manager, you're going to struggle. Yeah, the the lads from Man United was it Josh King. Matty James yeah. and was it Richie Delat or Danny Welbeck? No, it was Delat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, and the wall playing, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd seen. I'm very fortunate. I'd um, after Hull City, I couldn't actually take up a position because of the um, the uh, the fallout with regards to contracts and payouts and stuff mm-hmm. like that. You know, so I couldn't take up a position straight away. So I had a chance to go around watching football, and I'd two three weeks before. Um, Darren got the sack I'd been to see them play Middlesbrough yeah. uh, pressing against Middlesbrough and I think if I'm not mistaken Middlesbrough won the game but they nicked it and they pinched it big time and I thought pressing were good enough for the points that day but you know what it's like football you know when you're in that downward spirally at the bottom um, of the division confidence just... is not always on a high supporters you know the, the apathetic side of, of football gets you down before you're, you're up in terms yeah. of support, so you're not coming there optimistic, you're coming there pessimistic. All of them things play a part, you know. And, and um, I'd, I'd witnessed a, a good performance, and I thought, if he keeps them playing like that, this is my original thought after the game, if Darren keeps them playing like that, Preston will survive, you know. There's mm-hmm. no doubt about it. Um, but then three weeks later, or two weeks later, he'd lost his job, and I'm, I'm in that. Well, if I thought that about Preston then, I must be thinking about that person now because yeah, I'm yeah. managing them. But you lose five-year players, so it was a tough. Um, it was a tough ask, you know. I was asking kids to come in then uh, yeah. to do a man's job, and uh, you know it, it's not easy in a, t- in a tight situation. You know, 
I remember giving uh, a couple of lads their debuts, you know. Um, I'm trying to think the Irish boy that, that gave me his debut, centre-half. Oh, Danny Devine? Uh, Danny Devine, aye. And, he, and he, he went out on the night after he made his debut and, and he got he got throttled in Preston Town Centre and he broke his cheekbone. Yeah, I remember um, that. Things like that don't actually help the cause, albeit he's only mm. a pup and I wasn't going to rely on him for the rest of the season. It was just in and out, in and out, in and out. But uh, you couldn't put him back in because he broke his jaw, you know. So there's all things like that that play a part. But yeah. the, the thoughts and memories that come, just, just chatting to you, uh, Jake, you know, the thoughts and the memories come flooding back, you know. Yeah. Um, was there anyone that you tried to sign that didn't come off? That didn't come off. Um, no, we, one, the ones that we, we tried, oh, yes, there was, I. <laughs> The big, the big one was um, Jamie Vardy um, before he went to um, Fleetwood. Yeah, um, I remember that. I went, I went to see him, me and Brian went to see him, Brian Horton. We went to see him playing at Halifax Town. And we actually, um, we thought this, this kid will, will score goals from left wing, right wing, down the middle. If we were playing 4-3-3, three, three, whichever the case may be, this kid yeah. was a goal scorer, blistering pace. And um, it was a long story, and I'm not going to point fingers at anybody, but we missed out on Jamie Vardy for sure. And, and I'm sure if you ask the question to Morris Lindsay or to uh, to Trevor Hemmings, uh, I'm sure they wouldn't have portioned any blame to themselves. I was going to say, from what I'd heard at the time, I think it was that Morris didn't feel that 50 grand, no, sorry, that he felt 50 grand was too much to spend on a non league forward. That's more or less the situation but at the same time he was almost seeing free transfers you know till the end of the season he was saying we're not going to spend any more money the the owner's X amount a million pounds into it you know and, yeah and therefore you know they, listen I understand they've got to balance the books and at the end of the day they were staring at the you know the the abyss with regards mm-hmm. to the first division and and going down and uh, when they're staring at that they're looking for little guidelines and lifelines and performances and, and results come into play with yeah. regards to how they're feeling but for a manager to come back the, the door down and saying I want X amount of pounds for the same Jamie Jamie Vardy and then he signs for Fleetwood and then the rest is history as it were you know yeah, yeah. Um, so did, did a, you did you actually have any contact with Vardy or or the club yeah, that he was yeah. at or we we um, the um, the manager of Halifax Town, if I remember rightly, was remember the old uh, right back for Leeds United. Um, I'm trying to think of his name. Bald right back for Leeds United. Um, um, you'll you'll get it eventually. Uh, and he was managing Halifax Town. And believe it or not, he wasn't full time. He was a long distance lorry driver. Uh, it was his part. Uh, it was his part time job. And uh, great. Great player, by the way. If, you, if we remember his name, like you know, but and uh, wasn't Neil Aspin, wasn't it? That's him, aye. Neil Aspin, aye. And um, I think he's still in non-league, isn't he? He's still managing oh, non-league. Know. Well, I knew, I knew from the Halifax Town days myself that uh, I would be able to get in the boardroom afterwards and blah blah blah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I could start, I could start the wheels rolling, you know. And, and when mm-hmm. I did start the wheels rolling, I, I brought the the deal to to Morris and it was just it was fired out out of the boardroom, you know. So yeah, difficult to 
difficult when you, you know, team, but difficult at the time for them to stump up some money for a non-league player. But the rest now is history. It's dead easy to point fingers and a portion yeah. blame, but bottom line, you're saying, did we miss out on anybody? Yeah, we missed out on Jamie Vardy. Yeah, um, obviously when, when you came in and took over, I think, was it 11 games without a win? With the first win coming against Scunthorpe? Yeah. A 3-0 three, three yeah. win. Was, was there anything about that sort of run that you went on that you felt maybe a little bit of luck hadn't gone our way or looking back, anything you might have done differently to try and get three points on the board earlier on? Well, it's there's a lot to be said for the five players that I missed out on, Jake, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not hanging my hat on the fact that I'm just saying if you take five players from any any championship team now, if you took in the running, say coronavirus disappeared and we start again tomorrow. Yeah. So in the running, I'm going to take five players out of Legionator's first team or five players out of West Bromwich Albion's first team now. I'll guarantee you they'll struggle to get promoted yeah. regardless of how well they're playing and regardless how well they're doing. So it was difficult to replace that quality, you know, and I'm replacing it with kids. I'm putting, you know, lads in that wouldn't have got a chance. You know, the likes of Danny. I'm just trying to think of the um, the little number 10 that we had. George uh, Miller. We, the, there was George. There was um, bloody hellfire. You, you're testing me now in terms of names. But I always, I always remember um, Jamie Hoyland, you know, they were... They were in the uh, academy and they were pushing these kids forward, like you know, because quite simply that looked after their position as it were to a certain extent. But yeah. bottom line is, we had we had to survive, and there was nothing else. You know, there was nothing else around. You know, I think we got uh, oh dear me, I'm trying to think of the centre half's name now from press uh, from uh, Burnley, Clark Carlisle. Oh yeah, we Clark. Clark Carlisle, in, didn't we? And we got um, we got uh, Ian Ashby from Hull City. There was there was like senior pros that you were trying to pull together that were at decent championship teams, but wouldn't have held their position down at them championship teams. And we're fighting for a life at the bottom of the division. It was listen, times were difficult. You know, it's important that you, that everybody understands that if you take five players out, and I keep on harping out about these players, nobody's going to take players back that. Um, are not in the team or, or they're not playing on a regular basis. These guys were. And yeah. that's 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 the part, you know, that insipid side of football that, you know, like you know, managers and sons and, and you know, things like that. It does go on, you know, it's a big family, but there's also families within that family. Yeah, exactly. Look after them, you know. Um, and me coming in as press north end manager, there's no there's no empathy or sympathy for that, you know, you just get on with it. You yeah. try and uh, you try and win a game of football any way you possibly can, and I'm I'm almost convinced it was the time when we got Ricardo Gardner in that we did start winning games, we gave ourselves a chance. Mm. Um, so obviously ended up going down that season. Um, what was you thinking with the with the speech on the pitch after relegation? Was it just to try and pick the fans up a little bit and try and give them a bit of something to not cling on to, but maybe something to look forward to the following season? Well, it, I've never never been relegated as a manager, and uh, and that for me, even you know, people talk about the the relegation at Hull City. It was in the second season, and our biggest job was survive in the championship 
promoted from the Championship to the Premier League, survive in the Premier League, and then I get uh, I got sacked with about ten games to go. You know, so yeah, and that situation when you do get sacked, it's a horrible time, no doubt about yeah. it. You still believe that you you are the man for the job. Yet they're your players. It's your changing room. Uh, nobody's going to come in and completely uh, transform that team into a winning team and going to finish mid-table. It's, it's going to be a relegation battle. You've accepted yeah, yeah. that. And I think what I'm what I'm trying to say is that the, I think the most important part of that speech was the fact that I wanted them to understand the, play, the supporters. I wanted them to understand how I was feeling. I was I was fighting back the tears. I was yeah. um, trying to, I was trying to. There was nothing false about that, you know. This was yeah, yeah. a passionate, a passionate play by a manager who just got the, the the team relegated at the end of that season, having inherited a. Um, people talk about it being a, you know, it was a car crash that you inherited, but you always go into it with your eyes wide open, and that's what I was doing. I was going into it. I believed, fully aware of what was what was coming. But yeah. then I couldn't predict losing five players on the first day. So it became that car crash because of that first day. And then you've got to try and somehow motivate. I wasn't doing it for season tickets or anything daft like that. I was I was doing doing it trying to motivate a club that had just been relegated into the first division. Mm. And it was never going to be easy. Uh, but I thought it starts from, from day one, you know, which was that day. Um I knew there were great supporters. I knew they would get behind the team. I knew we could go into the first division, given the right kind of support, and win that division if we if we started off properly. And that that day was the start date, as far as I was concerned. You know, going into the summer, that feeling of relegation—you've got to try and get it out of your system as quickly as you possibly can. Yeah, and then try and hit the ground running. And I thought we did. I thought we hit the ground running in the first division. Uh, we were batting at the top end, and then unfortunately, I lost all three. Of my strikers in in a couple of games, yeah. Um, Jim, Jimmy Proctor, Ian Hume, and Neil Meller, and that three would have, you know, keep them on the field of play. That three would destroy the first division at that time. You know, yeah. I yeah. thought we had everything. We had goals. We had power. We had pace. We had experience. We had energy, gale, you name it. With, with the three of them, but to lose all three in two games was a disaster. You know. Yeah, well, going into that, obviously that season in League One, um, I think it was, I think it was a pre-season game against Burnley um, toward the end of the pre-season, and I seem to recall you after the game. I think you were signing autographs on your way back to the tunnel, and Keith Tracy hadn't played, and I remember I don't and I don't know if it was me that shouted or someone else that shouted to you and said, "Is is it true that Keith's been sold?" to Burnley and I remember that you looked like really frustrated almost like he'd been sort of sold behind your back yeah. is that is that the case or was it just a case of they needed money and it happens uh, Jake you know these these things you know because at the end of the day unless you've got a um, your complete not a finger on the trigger with regards to the club itself you know I'm yeah. talking about um you know, with board meetings, et cetera, et cetera, um, mm-hmm. with regards to training schedules, with regards to individuals' behaviour, with regards to um, transfers in and out. There's lots of things that, as a manager, these days, you get a lot of help from. Um, yeah. You get recruitment, head of recruitment now, you get chief executives, you get, uh, you, may, you name it, you've got people that help you in the background. Yeah. And um, 
when when we lost Keith, it was obviously with regards to finances, and there was a lot to be said for for Keith's antics off the field of play. And I think a number of Preston North End supporters had had enough of that as well. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes you think it's best he moves on. Uh, so you just you're trying to you know understand the club you're trying to understand the situation you're trying to understand what would this do for for us would it be better off he moved you know to get rid of a problem and he was at times he was a big problem yeah uh, but also at times at times I'll go back to that left hand side when him and Ricardo Gardner paired up I thought in the championship that was enough um so in the first division I thought it was certainly going to be enough but you know, the antics got um, got the better of that situation and it was probably yeah. best time for him to move, you know. To move on, yeah. Because I think he's he's got himself together a bit now, I think, and he's back playing in like, in League of Ireland or somewhere like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, yeah. Good, 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 good for him. You know, he's, he's obviously turned oh, things around for himself. Um, no, he's a, he's a good player. The bet, the, you know, the fun, <laughs> it's a funny story, but it's not so funny when you, when you dig into it, you know. Again, I don't want to harp on about these five players, but the first day I arrived at the training ground, I've not only lost the five players, but I've got uh, that avenue leading up to the training ground is strewn with bin liners and, and um, uh, people's clothing and stuff like that. And as I'm driving in, I'm thinking, what, what is this? And it's Keith's being kicked out of his house and he's, he was spending a night at the training ground. So I had to... <laughs> to resolve that problem as well like, you know, yeah so yeah I think uh, I think John Parkins and why he got kicked out of his house on his latest podcast episode um, I won't go oh, well, into it John it's better off coming from John than coming yeah, from yeah I won't, I won't go into it yeah so that that's some of them do you feel like again sort of a repeat of a question I asked you earlier on do you feel like you were backed sufficiently um, obviously, there was there was players on what I would presume decent money in Ian Hume and Neil Meller that you were yeah. allowed to keep. Um, because I was allowed to keep um, goal scorers such as Hume and Meller, and, and I'm talking about championship goal scorers, if not above. Um, yeah. I thought that was sufficient backing. I thought it was a, a bit of a quick pro quo, you know, with regards to players going out and players coming in or, or staying and, and keeping the hold of Hume and Neil Miller. And the emergence of Jamie Proctor, I thought, was all part and parcel of the quick pro quo, you know, the balance. Um, yeah. A lot of players were going to the first division and not, not really wanting to play in the first division. But bottom line is, these guys stuck by the club. I think Jamie was born in the area. Very good affinity with the club. And I think Neil Miller was enjoying his football at the time, you know, I think Neil was one of them that had to be pieced together, you know, physically. Yeah. Um, you know, to keep him on the field of play, I had to understand his body and respect it. And uh, to keep him out there was it was a big plus. But as I say, I think it was Walsall away where we lost two of two of the three, and then the following game, I can't remember what the following game. I think it might be Fleetwood or something like that. Anyway, uh, I lost all three, and we're then going into battle with a with a, a striker from Germany's second division. Wasn't it? Um, uh, yeah, Javel Sumu. Sumu, that was it. Uh, Javel Sumu, yeah. That was a difference. It's like saying, I'm going to take 50 goals out of your team, and you're going to go into battle with not them 50 goals, with one second division striker from Germany. You know, he was he was always going to be fourth choice striker and 
probably chuck him into an emergency situation 10 minutes at the end of a game. Yeah. And that was about what Juvel's strengths were. But outside of that, you know, uh, I was relying on clean sheets after that and, and they weren't coming as well. So, you know, it's understandable that people get frustrated. Yeah. So that, that pre-season then, uh, I, spoke, I spoke to Neil Mellor this morning and he sends his regards, but he also says that yeah. you gave him his best ever pre-season bonding trip with the, uh, with the trip up to the Marines. Do you feel that that is something that was felt around the group? I particularly looked at people's behaviour after that and I thought, we've got a chance here. Mm. Um, they didn't, for sure, they didn't know what they were going into. I did. And I, you know, having mixed swords with Sam Allardyce on numerous occasions on pre-season tours, et cetera, et cetera, um, known full well how big a role psychology plays in the game, yeah. um, known full well how big a family environment uh, and relying on the on your teammates, almost like a brother. Um, I knew all how much that plays a part as well in uh, in football and winning games and changing mm-hmm. room environment. But not just that. I, when we went up there, I don't know if it was 20, I think it took 25 players, maybe more. But I said to all the staff as well, we aren't staff on this five days trip. Uh, we're, we're one of the players. Yeah. And I said that to the, uh, you know, the, the RSM, you know, the, the PTIs, they, they were all told in no uncertain terms, no special treatment for manager, assistant manager, uh, any of the backroom staff, we were all all the same, all in the same boat. And yeah, we went through. We well, we went through it as well. We we got split up into teams. Um, I kept on saying to the players, you know, don't call me boss, don't call me. I'm Phil on this trip, uh, and we were one of the players. And we came back from our broth. Uh, I think it was a Friday. We were playing on the Saturday as well. We came back from our broth, and we had to have a, uh, an interconnecting train from our broth and get off at Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Get the Glasgow train down to Preston, yeah. and we had about we had about two and a half minutes to get off one train and get on another train. And what I witnessed in that Glasgow train station was unbelievable. I witnessed um, military precision. We had people in charge. We had people in charge of luggage. We had people in charge of food. We had people in charge of drink. We had people in charge of the train. You know, getting off one train and getting on the next train. It was just precision work, you know, with regards to 40, 40 people. And when everyone to a man managed to get on the train and fully fed on the way yeah. down to, to Preston, the following day we played the game. And, and the, the, the feeling in the changing room, the togetherness, the banter. Um, didn't, we, didn't we win seven games out of seven? Yeah, I think we, we, we lost. We lost on the opening day at Colchester, then we drew, and then we, we, we won. Yeah, I think it was seven or eight. Um, I thought that was the, the togetherness that we had bonded or brought about with the uh, uh, the Marines, but it, it was brilliant. You watch it on TV now, you know the uh, you know the SES and, and whatever, and it brings back really really good memories. Yeah, of, um, of the, the togetherness, and regardless of who it was, you know whether it had been an apprentice or a senior pro, a big guy, a small guy, a staff member, a player. It, we were all one, and it was it was yeah. it was brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic. And um, bringing bringing Greza back that summer, how how much do you think that influenced things as well in the dressing room or 
Uh, did it well, help you? Do you think? Or I've always been a, a big believer in 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 characters and big challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought I thought Greza. I'd watched him playing for Burnley, and I thought he's still got it. He's still got the legs. He's still got the desire. He certainly always had the quality, and I couldn't see any of that. Uh, dissipating or, or leaving him, you know, it wasn't coming at the end. Uh, even though he was, was he thirty nine, maybe forty. Yeah, he was around that 38, 39, 40, something like that. Yeah. And I, re- I remember my career. I finished at thirty eight, and you can, you know, if you've got the right mindset, you've got the the right people around you, you've got the right team, you've got the right understanding from your manager, all of them things. Yeah. Um, I remember Sam at Blackpool when I was coming to the end of my career, and it was, he was dropping me in, dropping me out, dropping me in, dropping me out giving me training sessions when I needed them, double sessions when I, I needed them, but leaving me at home when I needed it. So I knew handling of senior players, even at Bolton Wanderers, you know, with JJ Kocha and Yuri Okayev and, you know, the elder, the elder players, um, you have to treat them with respect and they deserve the respect. You know, they've earned it, you know, 20 yeah. years in the game. That's so bringing Grezer in, um, I thought was a, a move for the supporters first and foremost, um, yeah. for the team secondly, and I knew he would put pressure on me with regards to my position. But that's life. That's the way I've always worked. You know, I've always felt like you know bringing Brian Horton into to Hull City puts me under a little bit more pressure that gets the best out of me. You know, and yeah, yeah. and that's what I was, I was trying to do with Greza, and regardless of what Greza has done since then, you know, in terms of management, you know, I trusted him I fully believed in uh, I, he had me back in the changing room all of them things um, I wouldn't I wouldn't hazard uh, a guess that it would be any other different you know I thought he supported me um, so bringing him back the only the only I think the only gamble would be he's always played uh, at a good level you know and, and you're going down into the first division and you're finishing your career it can always have a detrimental effect mm-hmm. on you as a person, you know, your your psychology. Or I might come into the end and the realisation of that, you know, takes yeah. your edge off the game. But I thought Grez was in class. Um, were you in charge when he scored against Charlton or was that Graham Wesley? Um, Last game of the season. No, it was Graham Wesley. All oh, right, fair enough. When, what the, the when he scored the free the, kick? No, it couldn't have been me, else I would have remembered it, surely. Yeah, it must have been Graham Wesley. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, never mind. I'll scratch that one. Yeah, so obviously you mentioned earlier that you, you gave a lot of debuts to a lot of young lads. Uh, Jamie Proctor, Danny Mayer, Conor McLaughlin and Bailey Wright, to name a couple, well, four. Um, is that something that you look back on with a bit of pride, seeing that the careers that those four that I've just mentioned especially have gone on to have? I think so. Um, to, I suppose... To a certain extent, to the detriment of me, uh, meaning not that they did individually poorly any by any stretch of the imagination, because yeah. as you've said, they've, they've gone on to have careers, you know. Uh, but you know, you look at you're looking back at situations, you know, relegation battles. Are they the uh, the grounding, or you talk about grassroots? You know, are they the the, the kind of um, exposure that a young lad needs? At that moment in time, it's sometimes difficult. You know, you can. I always remember giving. Um, uh, oh dear me! Come on, think of it. He, he plays for Leeds United now. Um, centre half. Come on, can't think of his name. Oh, Liam Cooper. 
Liam Cooper. I gave yeah. Coops his debut. I gave Coops his debut in a, in a relegation battle at Liverpool at Anfield, and uh, T- Fernando Torres scored three, and we got beat six nil. And that is a moment in my head that I thought, my word, I could have destroyed this kid with one game. Yeah, and that's how much responsibility you have as a manager. Yeah, that's how much responsibility you have. You can't just throw them in willy nilly, and, and supporters have to understand that. Parents have to understand that. Academy directors have to understand that. Coaches yeah. have to understand the biggest part of the game. But for the game players, I think it was Bailey Wright's debut at Millwall away. I can't remember. And we got beat. And I thought, have I exposed them too early? And yeah. and yet you look at these, you know, you look at these guys and they've gone on to have Career, so maybe I've got maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe it is the exposure that they need, you know. Yeah. But again, it's a bit of reality almost. Yeah, but it's sometimes to the detriment of the team, to the detriment Mm. of the of the manager at that time, because it could cost him his job. All of these things have to be fully understood before you actually just throw somebody in there. Yeah. But I I firmly believe that um, I think the the academy at Preston North End was was run very well. And I go, you know, I go back to like to Jamie Hoyland and people like that. You know, mm-hmm. they run it, they run it with a passion for Preston North End. They run it with that that seriousness about Preston North End, about the club. You know, yeah. And I don't think for one minute they would ever came in and, and banged me door down and just said, "You've got to throw him in. He, he deserves his chance." Without a really thought long and hard about it, you know, sleepless mm-hmm. nights as it were, because that's what managers do have. You know, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's um, it's nice to know that these players have, have been given a, an opportunity, and hopefully they'll remember it, remember it, and uh, and they'll they have gone on from it, you know. Yeah, um, bit of a what? What are your thoughts on Peter Ridsdale? Obviously, he was appointed just before you were let go. I think it was like a week or something like that. Or is it not really something that what? you give much thought to? It was, <laughs> I uh, when it, whenever there's a change. Change sometimes brings unrest. Change sometimes brings change. Um, there was all sorts of things to, you know, outsiders were phoning me up, not knowing fully what our relationship was like, what it was going to be like. No idea. Yeah. Uh, when I lost Morris, I had a real, you know, I had a real good relationship with Morris. Mm-hmm. Um, he called a spade a spade um, whenever it was needed to be. Um, abrupt, forthright, out, outright, you know, he would just give me it, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas I felt when I first met Peter, I didn't get that same abruptness or straightness. Yeah. Um, I always had to sort of second guess or read into what he was saying. And when he first came to p and I was, I had my office at the training ground, but also had an office at the stadium, um, you know, beside the commercial end. Mm-hmm. And it was a lovely office, fantastic office. But the very first day he came in, he asked me, would I mind if I moved into my office? And I went, <laughs> I, didn't know, I didn't know what to think about it. You know, I didn't, I'm thinking, that's me gone. Um, I said, you don't want me here? Do you, is there a reason for this? He said, no, no, don't, don't second guess that. You know, it's, it's, I just want, I want your office. I want to see the, 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 the workplace better. It's a great position, blah, blah, blah. All of that was coming out. And I got a phone call later on that day from Peter Reid, who had worked with Peter Ridsdale at Plymouth. Yeah. And he did exactly the same. He did exactly the same to Peter. Very first day, he went into Peter's office and just said, oh, I like your office here. Can I, can I move into it? 
and then a week later you got the sack. That's <laughs> pretty much the story. That's pretty much the story of PNA, I'm afraid. But um, so he was he was brought in for a reason, and and that yeah. reason was to sweep clean, and and he did sweep clean for Plato. Yeah, do you think that's that's the reason that they brought Graham Wesley in as well? I think so. Um, I've got no. I never ever regret um, anything. You know, I just look back on it and try to improve it, and make it better uh, the yeah. next time around. And, and uh, you know, you, you, it happened to me at Hull City. A new chairman came in, but I survived about twelve games with uh, Adam Pearson coming back in, mm-hmm. um, replacing Paul Duffin. But that period was was positive. It was he was very supportive. And I yeah. thought the same was going to happen at PNE. I thought, Peter Ridsdale, I can work with the guy, no problem. He's just got to understand my way. I've got to understand his way and hopefully we'll get uh, get results from it. Yeah. And then you lose your job. And I don't feel bitter and twisted about anything. I wanted Preston North End to do well after that end of story. And I always yeah. have. I always look for the results. Um, but, you know, it happens and you move on. Yeah. So what, what's, your, one of your, what's your proudest moment from your time at, at the club? Oh dear me! Or anything you look back on fondly? Well, it was the um, you know the record wins at the time, you know, um, and getting through that pre-season and going to a, a place like um, Arbroath and SES training and stuff like that, seeing the benefit of that, seeing it come through, um, and I, I honestly thought that moment was was going to be our time where we're going to win the title in, in the first division, get promoted back to the championship. So I was like taking a year out of my career, as it were, to help uh, Trevor Hemmings, to help Preston North End. And when we get back to the championship, who knows how far you can take the club because yeah. a massive club. Uh, so I was, I was very proud of the fact that I became a, a manager of a football club who had a, a great history, a great tradition. Um, in the world of, of English football, you know, and you never underestimate that as a as a as a working class man. You never underestimate that. I never yeah. have done, and uh, I've always proudly said, I've always proudly said on my CV, I managed Preston North End. Yeah. Um, last one then. Have you got any any memories or any stories from your time at the club that that you want to share? Anything funny? Anything that sticks in your mind? There's, there's quite a few, but I can't tell you. Um, the uh, no, I think uh, I think I've told you them all. To be fair, I've, I've, the the ones that you can share. The, I've briefly gone on to, you know, Keith Tracy character, uh, yeah. John Parkin, absolute unbelievable character. Um, uh, Morris Lindsay again, fantastic character. I think the Trevor Hemmings one was the was the best one for me, where he stood up yeah. in front of a table full of football managers and just said, "I've had enough of you lot." I thought that was that was brilliant. You know, I thought, well, there's a guy I'm never going to work for, and three weeks later, I got the job. Um, <laughs> it was just, it was just phenomenal. That's that's Trevor Hemmings for you, you know. Yeah. But he's still he's still going strong. I believe he's still uh, he's still going well. He then corned. Didn't he co-own or did he own uh, another club in Preston in the Preston yeah, area? Yeah, Charlie. I think he's still his part owner Charlie, of it now. Yeah, he, he couldn't declare that he was owner because of the rules and regulations. I think he gave it to his dentist or something like that. They were the stories I'd heard. But yeah, listen, the, the club was full of characters and uh, I, I really did enjoy my time there. I know a lot of managers say that, but I did enjoy my time there. It was yeah. a learning curve. And that was genuine tears when I was when I was relegated for the first time in my 
my career. It was genuine tears on the pitch. Um, I really did desperately want to do well for Preston North End, but it wasn't to be. Well, thank you very much for that, Phil. Much appreciated. No problem, Jake. I'm, uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for thinking of me in your podcast. Okay, top man.